truth. Lord, I, I trust you today that you're going to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, that you take human words, that you carry them by your spirit and allow them to communicate to our heart. And so I trust you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to continue in Luke chapter 10 this morning is where we're going to be. Um, the summer of 1979, I was the ripe old age at that time. I think if I got my dates right, I was 17. Um, and I had been invited. I was, uh, I'd been very active in a, in a wonderful organization that, to my understanding, according to my wife, is not looked upon highly, at least in the school that she went to school at. Uh, I was a part of the Future Farmers of America. They were sort of the nerds in her school, but they were groovy in the school where I came from. I was highly involved, and I had been invited to a national conference as one of the representatives from the state of Missouri, and so I was at a national conference just outside of Washington, D.C. in Alexander, Virginia. And so they would have us in meetings in the morning and then in the afternoons. They would take us on tours uh, around that area. Obviously, there's a lot to see. Now, uh, I'm a young man at that point, obviously young, um, but I, and I had not traveled anywhere on my own. First time in an airplane, first time traveling through an airport, alone, and let me point out that this was before the security that we currently have, which means this, some of us can remember the times when we went into airports and there were, there were people in flowing robes and, uh, you know, handing out flowers and selling records for free. Does anybody remember that? Okay. This is that time, and I was like, I think back to my dad and mom, I'm like, you let me do this. Just frightening, you know, I'm traveling on my own. So, uh, you know, first time for all of these things, I, I think it was the, the Moonies that were uh, inhabiting the airport that I was flying through. So, uh, we'd gone and we visited different places. Uh, I, I remember, but one day stands out in my mind, the day that we went to the Capitol, now they'd pile us onto these buses and they'd bring us into the Capitol, go visit these different sites. And uh, thankfully, uh, my compadres that were apart from the state of Missouri had prearranged. I didn't get this done. I actually benefited from their arrangement. But since I was from Missouri, I, I was allowed to go into the um, Senate building and to meet with our state senator. So they rushed us into this little room, and we waited. And suddenly, you know, he came in to meet. I think there were four or five of us from the state of Missouri. And I remember thinking, I'm in way over my head. I don't know what I'm doing here. Shake his hand, you know, nod your head. Uh, it was a pretty crazy experience. So we're walking back out of that building, and then we were told, you, you're kind of on your own, and you can tour the Capitol on your own if you'd like. So I'm coming out of the Senate building, and if you kind of know where that's at, it's uh, to the, if I'm, if I'm getting my directions right, to the, the north of the Capitol building, I believe, is where the, the Senate chambers are. We weren't in the Senate chamber. We were in the one of the Senate office buildings, so I think it's the, what is it, the Brad Rayburn building, I believe. Um, we, we come out, and I decided I'm just going to knock this out on my own, and uh, we were told, you can go visit the Smithsonian. Remember, I'm 17. I've never been hardly anywhere other than with my immigrant family from point A to point B, but we'd never gone to, like, big city. So I come out, and 
enter into the mall. And they tried to explain this to us. You know, it's kind of big. Kind of big? Two miles long big. And so, uh, you know, they said, you can go visit the Smithsonian. So I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going out, and then I realize, oh, my word. So I didn't make it. I, I do remember making it to the, uh, what is it, the Air and Space Museum and, uh, and ran into another guy selling a record. But uh, I managed somehow to make my way back to the bus because I did make it back that night. I remember that. So now here's the point. The only thing I remember from that particular visit on that day especially, was being incredibly overwhelmed and a fair bit scared of my surroundings, like guard your pockets, you know. I mean, it was, I was all on my own. I needed to survive without getting pickpocketed, and I needed to survive without having some dude sell me a record for, that I didn't want to buy. So I, I need to say I've had several opportunities to visit uh, Washington, D.C. that have been very meaningful um, and, and, and as, I, as, I, as I look back at them, it, and most of them happen in virtually the same area. Now, one of them uh, was with my brother who was just here. Uh, many years ago, I decided that I, my family would benefit from buying a camper, and he talked me into buying it. I shouldn't say he talked me into it. He helped me find one that was located just outside of Washington, D.C., and we drove to get it. We decided to spend the night there, and we thought, hey, let's go take a visit. One of the places that we visited was the National Holocaust Museum. That was incredibly impactful, especially as we made our way through that museum. Now, most of you have heard parts of my story that my mother and father grew up through the war in the Netherlands. But when I came to this, this railroad car that had been taken, if my memory serves me correctly, from the very area where my dad had served uh, and had been in, in incarcerated for 11 days. So they would have, what happened in Holland is they had one internment camp that they would, they would bring individuals to, and then they would take them to the concentration camps in these cattle cars. So if you've read or studied anything about it. So we walk through this car, and right there we come out, and there's history about Holland, and suddenly it got real, especially when we realized that there was only one internment camp, and our dad had been in it. And oh, by the way, my mom barely missed being herded into that camp because she was a fourth-generation Jew. And we, we just we soaked it in. It impacted our life. It was a part of our story. On another visit, Denise and I had the privilege of being able to watch one of our favorite mu musicals, Les Miserables, and uh, we saw it at the Kennedy Center. I think it was for one of her birthdays that we decided to go and uh, just had a beautiful time and being able to soak all of that in. On another uh, occasion, I, I had the privilege of being able to pray not only in the National Mall, but by invitation on the floor of the House of Representatives. I don't know whose seat I prayed over, but I prayed over somebody's seat. Um, a little bit later on, uh, a few years ago, I had the privilege of being able to go with a small group of individuals, including two of my kids, where we led worship in a tent on the mall. And all of those visits had become a critical part of my own story, different. You know, one telling the story of my past, one 
in the present, one in a, in a place of being able to kind of live a heritage place in my life with my own family. But here's what I've come to learn since that first visit is that your best visit to the capital, especially if you're visiting uh, the world's largest muse- uh, collection of museums, the Smithsonian, there is no physical way that you can take in all of the parts. You have to choose to be present to the part in front of you. Okay? You try to visit all the parts, you're going to feel like you're getting pulled apart. All right? Jesus' life and ministry is a unique thing. If you, you know, one of the things I so appreciate about being able to study and and teach through the lectionary is it leads us through the life of Jesus. And one of the things, common realities of Jesus is that we see these stories of Jesus' life and what he does, and wait, you don't see anything repeated. And yet Jesus says of his life in John 12, 49, I only said and did what the Father invited me to do. So watch this. One moment he's healing the sick. In another moment he's eating with the despised. He's feeding thousands, first teaching thousands, then feeding them. And just when the disciples figured out, like, wow, we have momentum. We're going to go get the Gentiles to come. Jesus turns and says, now we need to go over here to a solitary place. Now, the common denominator in all of this is Jesus is saying and doing what the Father invites him to. In our text today, Luke 10, 38 to 42, we're going to see something. Where's my Bible? It's back here somewhere. Um, Jesus gives a response, and this is a, a really, really fun passage because I've, I've actually taught out of this passage and heard this passage taught a lot. John 10, uh, Luke 10, not John, Luke 10, verse uh, 38. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's obviously made his way through Samaria because he's stopping at the house of Mary and Martha, which is in Bethany. Now, I I think, I think we could speculate, although not for sure, that it was likely an unexpected visit, especially when you see Martha's response here. So, uh, verse 38, now as they were traveling along, they're on their way to Jerusalem, he entered a village, and a, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations, and she came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered. Now, it shows up in different words. Some translations say anxious and distracted or anxious and troubled. You're you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which will not be taken from her. Now, here's what's fascinating about this text is that I have heard this taught, and I have indeed taught this text as one of the one of the passages that we find Jesus' invitation to the one thing. What's the one thing that's most important in your life? And so, so for many of us, we, re- we read this story and we're like, 
the conclusion of that story is it's as obvious as the nose on your face. Jesus is clearly saying one thing is needed in your life to sit at the feet of Jesus, full stop. Sounds right. Sounds good. So the contemplative life, the solitary contemplative life is obviously the most commended life, right? But here's what makes me uncomfortable with that conclusion. Jesus just got done with two really critical things. He's in Samaria, and he sent his friends out to go heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom's here. And then we have this religious lawyer that comes up and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells a story, the story of the Good Samaritan. And he just got done saying, go and do the same. Jesus turns and he says, now, you know, which one is the one who is a neighbor to the man in need? And this lawyer turns and says, I suppose the one who had mercy, and Jesus said, go and do likewise, meaning serve the one you despise. Be ready to allow the one who despises you to serve you. Go and do likewise. And let's not miss this. Jesus' words that are later recorded by Matthew, who said, when you served the least, the one in prison, the one who needed a drink of water, the one who was hungry, when you did it to the least of these, when you served, you did it to me. You actually sat at my feet. So here's the trouble I have with the previous conclusion. The contemplative, solitary life, that, that, that's what it's about. Well, Maybe we need to take another look. One thing is needed, Martha. So here's the conclusion, again, that I've often internalized. Stop being like Martha, Ben. Martha, settle down. But, but wait a minute. He just said, go and be like that Samaritan who went into the shadow of the valley of death and showed mercy. Go and do likewise. So maybe it's not a foregone conclusion that this is just about place, you know, choosing the place of solitude over service. Maybe there's something else we need to look at. And, and if we read that story and all we do is hear Jesus commending Mary for rebuffing the traditional role of, of uh, serving and, and Martha is missing it, and then that we kind of rebuke ourselves or other people, I, I want to I encourage us, we might be missing the text. The problem with Martha isn't that she was serving. Do you hear me? The problem with Martha according to Jesus, isn't that she's providing hospitality. He just got done commending that. The problem with Martha is that she's worried and distracted. She's anxious and she's troubled. Martha, you're, you're worried and you're 
troubled by many things. That word, dis- that, that word distracted um, has a connotation, by the way. And, and this is what I found fascinating as I began to look in the original text. Kind of a cool, I don't know, sort of a nerdy point that I want to point out here if, if you're into it. But Jesus actually uses a play on words. Okay? He says, Mary, you're worried. What does that mean? It means, and the original word is a word that, that it doesn't matter whether or not you know how to pronounce it. It's merinao, uh, which means you're pulled apart by many parts. You're pulled apart by the parts. But then he says, Mary has chosen the good part. Maris. Now, those two words stand right next to each other in the Greek dictionary. Jesus actually uses a play on words, which means this. Jesus knows there's always going to be parts in, of our life in front of us. He's saying to, Mar- no, to Martha, you're, you're, you're being pulled apart. You're distracted. You're anxious. And, and to the point that it led her to the same place it leads me and you. You know, when it's overwhelming and you feel pulled apart and you feel alone and abandoned. And there's Martha who actually goes to Jesus and says, don't you care? I'm the only dude who really cares. I'm the one who's serving. Jesus is getting confronted by Martha. (laughs) Jesus, you just taught about the Good Samaritan. Don't you care? One thing is needed for your hospitality, Martha, not to prove your hospitality, but to listen to your guest and to be present to love. Beloved, the good news this morning, the one thing, see, it's not so much that one part is, is one thing needed. It's not so much about one part of our life over the other, but being present to the love of Christ. That is the good news that we want to proclaim this morning. All of us have a life that presses in around us, and we have a culture that's addicted to it. If you're not busy, I mean, that's just how they expect you. That's the human, that is the Western human condition. You're busy. Hectic schedules, a relentless pursuit of productivity. Uh, we, We measure our worth by how busy we are, how much we accomplish, how well other people's, you know, we meet their expectations. Oh, wait, wasn't that a little bit of Martha? See, I don't think there's any of us that that would say, you know what, at some point I could probably relate to Martha feeling pulled by different directions, pulled apart by the parts, worried and distracted by many things. Every day, see, here's the deal. Every day we've got a choice. That's the that's the that's the centerpiece of this text. And those Those many things, those parts that stand in front of us can be overwhelming and drive us to be like Martha, worried, bothered, 
troubled by many things. Oh, wait, that word worried, Jesus already talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? I, I do need to acknowledge, because this is true for me, that many times the busyness and the distraction comes from the noblest of intentions, right? I want to provide for my family. I want to give my children opportunities. I want to serve my neighbor. I want to serve Jesus. It is an actual functional part of the body of Christ that we live in hospitality and service to one another. So don't read Luke 10 and go, secondary, primary. You're really a Christian when you're like Mary. One thing is needed. So think about those two words. Jesus' word for anxious. You pull apart, Martha. And oh, watch, the other word that he used there, you're, you're anxious and distracted. That other word for distracted is, is a word that Matthew used when Jesus went into the house of the synagogue leader whose daughter died. Remember, he said, stop the commotion because the flute players were playing a dirge and there was a sound in that house. So let me give a paraphrase. Jesus turns to Martha and says, you're anxious, and here's my paraphrase. The sound of your life, Martha, you're pulled apart. Your sound of your life is chaotic. But Martha, or Mary, has chosen the good part. So Jesus is giving these two words. Well, let me, let me point to one more word, that word good. Uh, for, for every first century Jew, when they hear that word good, for a Jewish man or woman, they're like, oh, wait, I know what that's about. Why is that? Because when is the, f- the first time the word good is used? Oh, let me think. Ah, don't, don't have to think too hard. Genesis 1. And so it's here that we have creation's account. So Jesus is saying good. So there's a part that Martha chose. It was the good part. And so here's my point. It, it wasn't just the correct answer. That word good was associated with Let's see, in Genesis 1, the world was formless and void. There's no light. And the word, actually, if you look in the original language, that formless word means chaotic. So you got chaos and darkness, and there isn't life. There's lots of parts. And God said, let there be light, order, beauty, life. In the midst of chaos, God brings light, order, beauty, life, and then he says, that's good. So when Jesus uses this word good, he's he's referring to this reality. Good has to do with the presence of God to bring light, order, life, beauty into darkness and chaos. And we're all surrounded with it. See, all, to be clear, all of us are surrounded by chaos and darkness, disorder, and we can feel pulled apart by the parts. One thing is needed. It must be chosen. Will I be present to what's good? The good part. 
the love of Christ? Will I be present to the love of Christ? Which, to be very, very clear, means at some points I'm actually serving. At some points, I'm actually quiet. It's just so that that is abundantly clear. Now, you know what's another fascinating aspect of this text? We don't know what happened next. We don't know if Martha shaped it up and became like Mary. Or that Mary suddenly decided, oh, you know what? I'm sorry, Martha. Forgive me. I got distracted. And I submit to you because that wasn't the point. The point isn't who's right or wrong. It was always about an invitation to be present to the love of Christ. And there is the choice we have. Okay? One thing is needed, to be present to the abundant love of the Father that meets us and those that we're serving. So... Here's the, here's the thing as I think about this. One thing is needed, and it must be chosen. Okay. Every one of us gets up in the morning. Here's the truth. Every one of us walks out of that Bradbury. Bradburn? Bradbury? I should have looked that up. Uh, anyway, it's a Senate building there in the Capitol. We're standing before this two-mile-long mall of possibilities and inexhaustible list of things that can leave us worried and distracted. That's the truth. That is the honest truth to every single one of us. Mary chose the good part, that I would choose the love of God, the love of Christ, the good part. Lord, I don't want to stand and be pulled apart by the parts. I want to choose the good part. One thing is needed, to be present to love. And that love must be chosen, beloved. So how do we do that? Well, the best way to do that is to give Jack Morris a call and say, which one should I do? And he'll tell you what to do. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> he likes to how do I respond? I think it's a posture, beloved, is what I'm trying to get at. And I really believe that's what Jesus was speaking to, the posture of my heart. So um, a couple of suggestions that have been helpful for me that I'll throw out here. One of them, I, I, I was going to list several different prayers, but I, let, let, me give us, um, let me give you one prayer that, that I pray almost every day. Um, and it's... Two of, well, there's several of them I do, but, but one of them, let me, let me just give you the one that most of us would be familiar with, is the Lord's Prayer. To posture myself, our Father who art in heaven. You know, Jesus puts into, you can pray that prayer in, in about a minute or less. It really doesn't take long. But it's a, it, it's a centering back to, oh, wait, Lord, I want to see your kingdom come, your will be done. So something as simple as praying the Lord's Prayer, this prayer for grace. Do you have that up there? Okay. Uh, it, it, I think it goes something like this. Everlasting Almighty Father, you brought us into the safety of this new day. I ask that you would preserve us with your mighty power that we might not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's just a proclamation. Lord, I, wanna, I want to be about what you want to be about today. 
the following prayers, a very similar prayer. I'm not going to go through that one. Another prayer that for me has become especially meaningful of late is the prayer of St. Francis. Um, O Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, uh, this is why, I, and I usually slow myself down as I'm praying this, where there's hatred, and what that means is I'm acknowledging it's already present. Where there's hatred, let me so love. Where there is doubt, faith, where there's injury, pardon, where there's despair, hope, where there's darkness, light, where there's sadness, joy. You know, the Apostle Paul proclaims it this way, that we put on Christ. It's, it's opposite. O divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. It is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Guys, there's nothing special through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There's nothing special about these words. It's a, it's a posturing of our heart and our life saying, Lord, this is where I want to be. I want to be alert to choose the good part. One thing is needed. Is it necessarily always the solitary life? Actually, biblically, the answer is no. But it is about choosing the love of Christ and saying yes to him. Amen? And, beloved, that is good news. So it's not one part over the other, but being present to the love of Christ. And that is indeed good news. Amen? Amen. I want to invite us to conclude this morning from this passage, from this prayer. And uh, so I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and then I want to bring us to the table. Those of you on the call this morning, if you have something prepared to share in communion together with us, I'll invite you to join us. I want to pray this prayer, and then I'm going to just say a short prayer over our communion time together. Let's pray this together. O God of Abraham and Sarah, in due season you fulfill a promise almost too wonderful to imagine. Awaken us to the workings of your will in our midst and keep us attentive to the things that matter until the day when your mystery hidden throughout the ages stands fully revealed in the kingdom of all your saints. Amen. So, Lord, in all of these prayers, we hear your invitation. And we want to say yes to you. Jesus, as we come to this table, it is a table of remembrance. It's a table of proclamation. We remember the reality that you said yes to your Father. And you said yes to us. You said as often as we take of this, we proclaim your life and your death. That profound mystery. that your love isn't just enough to rescue us from our brokenness, that your love restores and makes whole and reveals the nature of what your kingdom is. Oh, we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So we receive your body, your blood given for us now. In Jesus' name. If you came prepared to give, we say thank you.